Father in heaven, <clears throat> I thank you for this Sabbath day and for the opportunity that it presents to us to cease from our labors to enter into a time of worship and fellowship. We are a blessed people because you have given us this day and we have accepted it. Now, Lord, we're talking about your Holy Spirit, so we pray that your Spirit would be here to speak to us, to teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so we've been talking about the Holy Spirit and, and the coming of the Holy Spirit since early in the year, and we're going to do this now. We're going to talk again today and then next Sabbath, and then a special Sabbath on the 26th, and I'll talk more about that as I get towards the end but we're getting towards the end of this series and this time of focus. So I just want to review a few things that uh, we've talked about here. For one thing, we know that God, that Jesus gave the disciples the Great Commission. He said, go make disciples of all nations. But he also said to them, wait in Jerusalem until you receive what the Father has promised. For in not many days you will be filled with the Holy Spirit. So the promise was Jesus would go, the Holy Spirit would come, and the Holy Spirit's presence would be with his people. This was how Jesus was able to say to the disciples, Behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. The reason he could be with every one of us was through the Holy Spirit. So the role of the Holy Spirit is incredibly important. This is God's promise to us. But even the disciples had to learn to wait and to follow the leading of the Spirit. And we have the story in Acts 2 of the great outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the disciples. And, and the impact of the coming of the Spirit was evangelistic effectiveness. They became effective in the mission God had given them. You see, taking the gospel to the world is more than strategy. It's more than planning. It's more than, than publicity. All of those things matter, and all of those things play into it, but, but it's the presence of the Spirit that makes the difference. We also dealt with a, a kind of a troubling concept. You see, later on, a man named Apollos would show up in Ephesus, and he would talk great about Jesus, and he was really good, and he knew his Bible, and he knew the text, and he knew everything. But there were a couple there, a couple of members of that church, Priscilla and Aquila, they took him aside, and it says, instructed him in the way of the Lord more perfectly. You see, he only knew John's baptism. What does that mean? Well, you remember, John the Baptist came, and John was baptizing, and his baptism was for repentance from sin. But you remember John himself said, I baptize with water, but there is one coming after me who will baptize you with fire. He was talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit into the life of the believers. We also spent a week, just a cautionary week, talking about the reality of the presence in the Holy of the Holy Spirit in our lives is nothing to take for granted. And that troubling story of Ananias and Sapphira where it says, why did you conspire to lie to the Holy Spirit? The story that gives us pause 
to realize it's not a game that, that church is not about coming and trying to look good in front of each other. It's about living the life that God has appointed us together in community. We talked about how with the Spirit came gifts. That when Jesus ascended on high, he sent the Spirit. And to everyone who believes, they were given gifts. What was the purpose of the gifts? The gifts were to be used for the building up of God's community. Pastor Jay challenged us in the context of the story of Cornelius and the power of the Spirit and how the Spirit decides. Then last Sabbath we talked about walking by the Spirit and and to live a life filled with the fruit of the Spirit. So I want to add one more piece. And that is the Holy Spirit as the seal of your acceptance. We're going to be in Ephesians today, so you can take one of those Bibles that's in front of you. I've got that same translation. You can take that Bible and uh, follow along. Ephesians chapter 1, and we're also going to go to chapter 4. We're going to grab a couple other texts along the way. But primarily we're going to be in Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 4. So let's start. Ephesians 1 verse 1 says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is just the introduction, the little, the, the, uh, the greeting comment of his letter. But there's interesting things here, just note it. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. This was actually an interesting point with Paul that he brings out from time to time. Because you see, Paul was not a part of the good guys in the early days. Paul was not one of the disciples. Paul did not travel around with Jesus. He came to this later on, and in fact, in the early days of the church, he persecuted the church. But God had a purpose for Paul, and he would hang on to that and believe that, and hang on to this idea that I serve by the calling of God. This is something important that all of us need to understand in our hearts because God speaks to every one of us and calls every one of us to a ministry. Yes, we affirm it to each other, but the calling is from God. So the letter is to the saints who are in Ephesus. Ephesus is is a town in what is now modern-day Turkey. Uh, At the time, it actually was on a bay next to the coast, but uh, that bay has silted in since the days of Paul, and now it's about 20 miles from the coast, which is kind of interesting. But there was a, a large bay there, and it was an important town of its region, a province called the province of Asia. And there were people there that were faithful to Christ Jesus. And then his, his very kind words, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We're supposed to live in grace and live at peace. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, an interesting thing happens here. Paul is kind of a difficult person to read sometimes because maybe this was, 
maybe this was coherent in his day, but it feels a little incoherent in our day because this section of the letter is just dependent clause after dependent clause after dependent clause after dependent clause. In other words, he's just saying this and this and this and this and this and this and going on. The whole thing is one sentence. Way down longer than we're comfortable with one sentence being. And so we break it up in our translations, but it just goes clause after clause after clause. And he starts it off, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So the first thing you need to get from this is that the provision of God is complete and more than sufficient. Everything you need in order to spiritually survive, you have been given through Jesus Christ. So live with that confidence. In those moments of trial, in those moments of struggle, live with that confidence. No, I've been given everything I need through Jesus Christ. Verse 4, even as he chose us in him. Now, one of the things that gets tricky here is he uses he and him a lot, and you're not sure, is he talking about Jesus? Is he talking about God? Well, I'll try to sort that as we go here. Even as he, the Father, chose us in him, Jesus, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Now, there's two realities here. We are made holy and blameless before the Father through Jesus. Because I don't know all of you, but the ones I know, you're not quite there yet. Hope that didn't hurt your feelings. We're not quite holy and blameless yet. For example, I forgot to go to my chapel talk in December. That's, that's not good. And that was maybe one of my lesser errors. So, so you get it, right? We're, we're not completely that way, but we are reckoned that way through Christ because he lived that for us. But now having been justified through what Christ did, now we set ourselves on a course to seek to be holy and blameless, not to gain standing with the Father, but rather to embrace this life that he's given us. To live in what he's given us. In love, he, the Father, predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. This is kind of a parallel to what we read in John chapter 1. Do you remember in John chapter 1? It said, to all who believed, he gave the right to be sons and daughters of God. So, to all who believe, God from the beginning made the plan I'm going to send Jesus and everyone that believes in him will be justified and will become my sons and daughters so this is how he predestined us for this outcome we just have to believe to receive it according to the purpose of his will now verse 6 to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved so all of these good works of God, this great, the, the, these victories of God that come to us through Jesus Christ bring glory to God. And when we are faithful, our lives bring glory to God. Now, verse 7. In him, 
We have redemption through his blood. All right, now we're talking about Jesus. So this whole first section, he, he is keyed on God the Father. But now he's going to break out and talk a little bit about Jesus here. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Now you read that and you might wonder, his, is this referring to Jesus? Or is this the Father? Well, it's the Father's grace. You're going to see that in a second. Which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. Here's an important point that you need to understand. Jesus came to reveal the Father. Jesus is not the only gracious, loving one. God is not the angry one and Jesus is the nice one. That's not how it works. Jesus is the perfect revelation of the Father. And what Jesus accomplished was the will of the Father. And that's why he's saying here, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose that he set forth in Christ. These are the riches of the Father's grace. Now, why is this important? Well, we talk about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we talk about them as a trinity, as a, as a three-in-one singularity. They are of, of, of common will and purpose and goodness. But if you let yourself go down the road where God is the angry one and Jesus is the one that appeases and loves us, then you're no longer Trinitarian. You have become polytheistic. See, if they're not the same, then you are worshiping multiple gods. But if they have the same reality, the same will, the same purpose, then they're together. So don't get it in your mind that the Father is the tough one and Jesus is the friendly one. No, it's this singular reality. The Father loves you. This is why he sent Jesus. This is the mystery of his will and, and this mystery of his will even goes beyond what the Jews were expecting. In verse 10, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Now, it's, it's sort of hinted at here. He brings this out in more detail in one of the other chapters here. But one of the things that was a shocking mystery to the Jews was that Gentiles get to be part of the kingdom. Now, we don't even really think about that much. But Paul will refer to this as this mystery that, in fact, the Gentiles are included in the grace. Now, aren't you glad Gentiles are included? Because that's us, right? But it was a mystery to Paul. Peter wasn't ready for it when the Holy Spirit fell on Cornelius. But yet the purpose of God and his grace is so expansive. They kept going back, trying to figure out, what, we should have seen this coming, but how? And they go all the way back to Abraham. And wait a minute, God said you would be a blessing to all peoples. The one who came from you would be a blessing to all. Let's keep going. Verse 11, in him, Jesus, we have obtained an inheritance 
having been predestined according to the purpose of him, the Father, who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Okay, we have, obtained an, we have obtained an inheritance. How do you get an inheritance? You, you are a direct relative of someone who is giving that inheritance away. And it says, we have been made sons and daughters of God. So our inheritance now is the grace that God gives away. And he, now here specifically, he's saying, we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. So Paul and the apostles are bringing glory to God through their faithfulness and through their witness. This is how we bring glory to God. When we use the gifts he's given us for his purpose and his cause, it brings glory to God. Now, we're getting to the specific mention of the Holy Spirit. Verse 13. In him, this is Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Okay, how do we get sealed with the promised Holy Spirit? You hear the word of truth and you believe. That's how it happens. You hear and believe. And by doing so, you are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Now this verse 14 is very interesting. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. So here's the reality. The fullness of God's kingdom has not manifested itself yet in the world. We still get sick. We still die. There's still pain. There's still trouble. There's still difficulty. But the presence of the Spirit in your life is the down payment on the eternal life of glory to come. Now, this is a significant point because it suggests that it is available to us right now to begin living the life to come. Not perfectly, not without problems, but we've already been given a piece of it. And it says, to the praise of his glory. So when you hear and receive, you hear and believe, you also receive the Holy Spirit. And the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives is proof. It's a guarantee that our ultimate inheritance is coming. It is the beginning of the living of the eternal life. Now this needs to give us confidence because we already have a taste of what is to come. And this should give us power because we're hanging on to the promise and here's another thing about it. When you're sealed with the Holy Spirit, you know it and other people know it because it makes a difference in your life. So I want to leave this. I want to leave chapter 1 and I want us to go over to chapter 4 now. Ephesians chapter 4. And I want to talk pretty much for the rest of our time about how receiving the Holy Spirit in our lives impacts our lives. So Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Here's what I want you to hear here. 
I don't want you to hear, oh boy, here come the tough rules part. I don't want you to hear that. What I want you to hear is that your existence is not useless. Your life is not without purpose. Because you have received a calling from God. He has called to you, he has made you a part of his kingdom, he has given you gifts, and he has said, now go and use these gifts for the building up of my kingdom. You have eternal purpose. You're not just here. It's not just, well, if you're good enough, God's going to let you into heaven. No, it's none of that. You heard the story of Jesus. You believed in your heart. God sent you the Holy Spirit. With the coming of the Spirit came purpose for your life and a calling that lasts all of the days you live this life and into eternity in the kingdom that is to come. This is your future. You have purpose. There's nothing about you that's useless. You're called and adopted as a son or daughter of God with all of the privileges and all of the challenges that go with that calling. What do I mean by that? Well, think about Jesus, the, the Son of God. A lot of really interesting and powerful things came with that, but a lot of trouble came with that too, right? This is what it means to be a son and daughter of God. But since we have that calling, we need to walk, or in other words, live in a manner worthy of that calling. So this is identity. You need to know who you are, and then you need to live who you are. So this happens to us in different contexts. This happens to us in a, in a family context. We have, a, we have multiple drains here today. There's a family context there. There's a belonging in that. There's a purpose in that. There's a way of living in that. You know who you are, you know what you do. That's how it is when we become part of God's family. We know who we are, and we live what we are. Ephesians 4, I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience. This is an interesting word in Greek, so I've got a fascination with, with uh, the word patience, and the way it appears in different translations from, from Greek. Um, one of them is a hupomone, which means patient endurance. But this is the other word for patience. This is macrothumia. So the word macro, we've heard that word. That's still kind of around in our day. But what it means is very long or very big. And thumia means uh, anger or being upset. So what macrothumia means is a long time till you get upset. Long-suffering is another way this gets translated sometimes. So what we are called to be within the community of the church is humble and gentle, and it should take a really long time for us to get mad at each other. It's not always how it works, is it? No laughing on the front row. 
That's not how it works sometimes. We get offended like that. But that's not how it's supposed to be. Humble, gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's supposed to be a unity in spirit. You remember we talked about this last Sabbath from Galatians. Galatians chapter 5, verses 20 and 21 talks about things, the realities of the flesh that's, that's contrary to the fruit of the spirit. The realities of the flesh, and part of that list was enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, and envy. Aren't you glad none of that ever happens within the church or within the community of the people of God? Man, if only, right? The craziness that sometimes happens. This is contrary to God's purpose. And it's contrary to the life of a son or daughter of God. And it's counter to the working of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4 verse 4. There is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Why is the church supposed to be united? Because there's one God, there's one spirit, there's one baptism, there's one Lord. And when we tear ourselves apart from the inside, we're working against the purpose of the Holy Spirit. Verse 7, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So this is where he gets into what we talked about before when we were talking about the spiritual gifts. We jump down to verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. All right, this is that, that concept again of, of the body of Christ, and we are all a part of it. And we talked about that before. If I, if I get a sliver in my finger... The whole body is suddenly concerned about that finger. But yet, if I'm, well, let's, I don't do this, but let's say I'm riding a skateboard and I hit a rock and I fall forward, what are my hands going to do? They know there's pavement down there. They know what happens when your hands go on pavement, but you know what they do for the body? They go, they try to save. See, this is how the body works. It works together, and regardless of what's going on, when one part grieves, we grieve with it. When one part rejoices, 
we rejoice with it. This is how the community of faith is supposed to be. All of us fulfilling our God-given purpose. And what is the result when this happens? It's a new reality of life, and it looks like this. Verse 17, Ephesians 4. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. All right, now he's using term Gentile here as, as terms of Gentile unbelievers. It's not, it's not narrowly using a race term here. He's referring to those who have not believed. In the futility of their minds, he says, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This is the new reality that comes to us when the Holy Spirit lives in our hearts. And this becomes the evidence that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. A transformation takes place in our minds. Now, sometimes it's gradual. Sometimes it happens over time. But as you go along, you begin to realize, yeah, there's a part of me... I used to love those things, but I really want to be free from that now. Now, that doesn't always mean it's easy. That doesn't all mean that we don't sometimes falter back to it, but we reach the point where we're not avoiding sin because someone told us it's wrong. We're avoiding it because we don't want it in our lives. Do you see the difference there? When you are caught in legalism, you are avoiding sin for fear of being lost. But when you are living by the Spirit, you're avoiding sin because you don't want it in your life. There's another voice you're listening to, and it's calling you in a different direction. Yeah, we do it imperfectly now, but what you are being called toward is the eternal life you will live in glory after Jesus comes again. He's calling you to it now. We're not free of everything yet. But the Holy Spirit is that voice in us calling us to that new life. It reminds me of Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I love these verses. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He gets into our mind and he transforms the way we think to the point where those things that once we wanted so bad become abhorrent to our thinking. Back to Ephesians 4. 
Paul gives some practical advice now, verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, it's very important to Paul in this passage that we be honest with each other. He doesn't want us to be a community of deceitful deceivers. He says, speak the truth in love. And then here he says, put away falsehood. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Nothing tears a community apart faster than lies within the community. Frustration happens within the church community when, when conflict arises between people and this person talks to all their people over here and this person talks to all their people over here and the two factions rise up against each other and want to go to war with each other and you reach the point that sometimes you can't even mediate it from the middle because the people on this side are so sure what they think about the other side and this side is so sure what they think about the other side. Nothing you say helps. Can you say political process in the country? This can't happen in the church. And the way we avoid it is by speaking truthfully to each other. Verse 26, be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his hands, with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Big concepts here, but consistent with the Spirit. We are all supposed to mature to a point where, where we're not taking, but rather we're producing, and producing in excess to the point where we can give. Now, I know this is true for, for men and women, but I particularly want to just say a word to men today. It is your God-given calling to grow up, mature, become a provider, and, and give to others. God calls every one of us to do that. And if you're not doing that, Start doing that because there's greater joy in providing than there is in taking. And God has enabled you and created you to be a provider. So be that. Give to others according to what God has enabled you to do. Verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such is good for building up. That's the one. You've got to put a check sometimes on the mouth. As fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not, here comes the Holy Spirit mentioned again, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. I think about that sometimes. I think about it in the context of the, the Spirit of God. I think about it in the context of of the angels that uh, different traditions have God appointing angels to be with us in different ways. And then I think about some of the dumb stuff I do. And I think, wow, I really hate that that's how I am in the presence of holiness. 
Don't grieve the Holy Spirit because he is the seal on your life promising that your redemption is coming. Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Has God forgiven you? If he has, show the same grace. Now, I think one of the reasons there's so much unforgiveness that happens sometimes in the church is that many people have not actually believed that God has forgiven them and have never received the grace of God that is theirs. When you've been given grace, you're inclined to give grace. When you're living in fear, you're inclined to give anger and hatred. So maybe just that's a point right here, and you can have a moment in your own heart right now. God has made every spiritual provision you need through Jesus Christ. Grace is sufficient for you. This is the good news. Receive it. Receive that forgiveness in your heart right now. Right now. Even if you have many times before, receive it again right now. And realize in your heart right now, by grace through Jesus Christ, I am clean before the Father. Does that sound good to you? That sounds really good to me. Receive that. And then now that you've received that, think about that person you have hostility towards. And let it go. Let it go. It's not doing you any good. It's poison in your soul. Forgive. The indwelling of the Spirit, yes, it's about power. There were miraculous works that were done by the disciples. There were amazing things that took place. They were enabled to speak in, in other languages that they did not know. Yeah, it's about power. But, but it's not about a show. You remember all the time they would come to Jesus and say, do a miracle. And he's like, nope, not doing it. It's not about a show. But anytime he came to someone that was sick, he healed them. See, it's not a performance. It's about accomplishing the purpose of God in the world. The indwelling of the Spirit is about power, but it's not for show. Mighty works and wonders are fine, but they are not the most important reality of being Spirit-filled. Rather, the true test comes in the manner in which we behave ourselves and treat one another. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. These are the great commandments. And the indwelling of the Spirit will be revealed in the, in the truth of your love for God and the reality of your behavior and love towards one another. This is the proof of the presence of the Spirit. Go to 1 Corinthians 13, and you can read all about that. It says, even if I'm doing great wonders and powers in the name of God, if I don't have love, I'm nothing. So now let's, let's go back to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed 
with the promised Holy Spirit. God has given you his spirit. Maybe you have not been aware or ready to receive it at the level that he desires to pour the spirit out. But if you have heard and believed, the spirit is available to you in your life. And God desires to pour the spirit on you. Because verse 14, he is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. It's the taste of eternal life. I'm going to invite the band to come back up because we're going to sing some songs here. And as we're singing those songs, I want you to open your heart. If you had a moment in the context today where you realize that the grace of God is yours and you have become aware that he desires to pour his spirit on you, that as we are spending time in these songs, as, as these folk are up here using the gifts that God has given them, to bring glory to God and to lead you in worship, that your heart would be open in that moment and you would receive the confidence that comes from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I told you something last Sabbath that I wanted you to think about. It was a little assignment that I wanted you to think about. Do you remember what it was? Anybody remember what it was? You were to think about someone you have conflict with. Okay, now here comes the next week, and it's directly in the context of what I was just telling you. This week you make a plan to do everything you can to repair that relationship. Now maybe you can't, but you do everything you can from your side to open that door, to forgive one another as the Father forgave you. Now granted, not every relationship can be restored in the context that it was. Sometimes it's unhealthy to do that. But if there's something in your heart you need to let go of, and if there's something you need to verbally forgive, this is your week to do that. Why are we doing this? Because we're clearing the way for our service on the 26th, where we're going to invite the Holy Spirit to be here. And if we come into this place harboring anger and hatred in our hearts, it's going to hold the Spirit back. We are the forgiven people. Let's also be the forgiving people. So this week, make that context. Make that connection. Whoever it is, wherever it is, whatever it is. And now there's another thing. We're going to do something on the week starting after next Sabbath. So that's the 19th. So on the 20th, that entire week through to that next Sabbath... The prayer team, I'm going to work with the prayer team and we're going to put together each day some, some texts that can go out to everybody that wants to receive it to remind you to be praying in that week for different topics, different things as we build up to the 26th so that we're doing the preparation work in our own hearts. Now Thomas put together for us a number that you can call and what you do is, or not call, text, sorry, you text the word pray to that number and you will be included in this list. All right? So if you want to do that, take your phone out, put that number down, text the word pray to that number. It won't start next week. It'll start the week after. Maybe we'll do a test next week just to make sure it's working and we'll remind you again next Sabbath to do this. But this is how you can be involved as we're going forward. 
So here's where I want to end as we go into our songs. Your life is not useless. You have purpose. You are the sons and daughters of the Father in heaven. You belong to Him. You were created by Him, and you were redeemed by Him through Jesus Christ. And to seal that relationship, He has sent you His Holy Spirit to live in your life, to be the presence of Jesus with you every day. We are all creatures of our God and King. Let's praise Him.